Hello and welcome to the Endurance Coach Podcast. My name is Mark Laithwaite and I'm here today with my co-hosts, ultra runner and sports psychologist, Dr. Ian Bordley, and also with sports injury specialist, Mike James, aka the Endurance Physio. Each week, we'll be telling you what's new in the world of endurance sports. We're going to have some amazing guests on the show and we'll be discussing how you can reach your true potential on race day. So sit back and relax. We hope you enjoy the show. Okay, well, we have had quite a break in the endurance podcast. It's largely my fault. I'm not going to blame either Mike or Ian for that. It's largely my fault. But it is great to be back with this episode of the endurance podcast. Welcome to the show. As always, my co-hosts, Mike James, endurance physio, and Ian Bordley, Dr. Ian Bordley, sports psychologist. Good afternoon, boys. Are you both well? Good afternoon, Mark. Yeah, well, I think we're both trying to keep fit um, during the what is hopefully the uh, tail end of lockdown. That's what we're hoping now, isn't it? Um, I keep seeing Mike putting his training up on social media, so I think he's keeping fit as well. I'm just trying to keep up with him. Well, we're trying. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all the listeners. Um, yeah, ticking over. As, as we'll get into it, I'm sure, yeah, I'm training, but my training's taken a, a complete 180 in where I'm trying to take it right now. But uh, sure, that's not an unfamiliar story to most people listening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, with this, with it being the, uh, the year of the lockdown, as we will always uh, refer to it as, the um, interesting for me, I think February, February as a month in itself, I think is the worst month of the year. We normally plan a Lanzarote training camp in February. And it's because I just personally, and the, the people I coach and friends and family, I just always seem to find that February is the worst month. You're past Christmas and New Year, then it's the worst weather, but then you're coming into spring after that. So it's just this horrible time of year. And then, of course, it's been a double whammy this year because we've been in lockdown in what's possibly the worst and generally most miserable month of the year anyway. So I think everybody's been quite low. So I think before we kind of get into... Um, you know, what the future holds for 2021. I'm just curious, Mike, maybe the last few months, you know, December, January into February, uh, what's life been like for you, work, personal life, training, and, and also, you know, for those around you, your friends, people, your coach, you know, what kind of things have you seen? Yeah, I think so. So day-to-day things have been very similar. The the online therapy and teaching has, has been pretty consistent. Um, patients seem to be much happier with this format for now. Um I think it's probably this third lockdown for myself has been the first time I felt a little bit of COVID fatigue, not in a true sense of had COVID and got fatigue afterwards, but the whole thing has just started to to get me down a little bit more. I've managed to stay relatively positive up until this point, but I'm almost now like, yeah, can't wait to see the back of this and just get the world back spinning normally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ian, what's it been like for you? Uh, Training-wise, I've managed to keep 
training pretty well, I think. But I, I understand you know, where Mike's coming from there. I think it's been uh, additionally difficult for everyone this time. I th- there was that natural feeling at first that things were improving across the summer. And then uh, as much as everyone talked about um, a, a way of hitting in the winter, I don't think anyone really was expecting things to be as bad as they were. But also with what you were saying there, Mark, in, in terms of... Um, the time of the year as well when mood is often quite low for people january february hitting that at the same time and then uh having a quite a significant lockdown sprung on people again and then it's just the uncertainty isn't it i think and just prior to christmas we got all the news of the vaccine vaccination program and that stayed up everyone felt as though things were moving in the right direction it was just a sudden hit in the other direction so i think it was yeah i found this definitely being the most difficult lockdown um but training-wise, managed to keep focused and kept uh, keep training well, which is good, because I think that's been um, it's, it's one of the positives that's um, that I've managed to keep going throughout. I think, um, and then it's just trying to manage everything else around that as well, isn't it? Um, because so much uncertainty about things. But I think things are definitely improving now in terms of at least we've got some clarity on on where we're going, and we've got an improving picture in terms of the vaccination program. And I think it just and the weather's improving, so everything slightly longer days, so everything feels a lot better now, I think, than it did probably uh, middle of January, which was probably a low point as we we're early in the lockdown. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, much more positive now. I think just speaking to people and people's general mood. Yeah, it's funny actually to remember that we went go back to December. I think it was in December. There was this like swing in a two-week period where. The vaccine had just come out and we haven't really hit this second or third spike. So we kind of thought things were all right. And the infection rate was still manageable. And then vaccinations said that they were ready to roll. And we were all, well, that's it. You know, the news was saying this is the turning point now. And then suddenly in the space of two weeks, we had this huge spike and it just completely went the opposite direction. It went from positive to negative in, in, within the space of a week or so. And I think that just caught a lot of people on work, didn't it? But yeah. And it is nice to sunny shining as well. I always say this, how much difference sunshine makes. I mean, we all know this seasonal affective disorder. Um, and I, I, in February, we've always gone our Lanzarote training camps in February. And I, I, I still kind of, um, now the best feeling I, I can remember from every February is getting up at like seven or half seven in the morning and just walking down to the 50 metre pool in a pair of flip-flops and it's warm. You know, and it just, the, the difference the sunshine makes. And even now, feeling like it's spring outside it just you know you can see the um, daffodils are coming up in the snowdrops when i was out on the bike and you know and, and and it really really i think it makes such a massive difference and i think maybe that's the difference with the first lockdown when we had three months of pure sunshine <laughs> and then this one we're going into the worst months of the year aren't we but let's not focus on the negatives <laughs> so going forwards on the positives i mean we're in 2021 with a um you know Government have now said that uh, organised sport can start from uh, March 29th. So I think uh, I still think you know people are still struggling with it, aren't they? You know, because they've had such a, an off period. I don't think that it's just suddenly people have just lit up and have you know flicked a switch and they're all motivated. I think they're just trying to drag themselves in that direction now. But um, uh, Mike, what do you think? You know, if you, speaking to kind of athletes out there, and what are your kind of top tips or what would your advice be or what's your thought? on motivating people to go forward now to have a successful 2021? 
Yeah, definitely nice to see the, see the positive vibes come in. Here in Wales, we're still a little bit behind the drag curve. We haven't had any dates announced for stuff, but traditionally over the last 12 months, we've been either a couple of weeks behind England or a little bit in front, so we'll, we'll see. Um, I've spoken to lots of athletes over the winter about this stuff because there's been that that's a roller coaster in motivation and people, as you say, whether it's coupled with the announcements that the season's changing, but people are starting to ramp up that motivation. And one of my big messages to people right now is actually just make sure that your goals and your motivation remains realistic. We always, we always push that message, the three of us, but um, I think it's going to be very easy right now to get carried away and get over motivated too soon or peak too soon with it. Um, there's a there's a real risk for a lot of people now. Let's let's imagine COVID pisses off and we can all get back to pretty much normality from from spring onwards. Then there's a hell of a lot of racing that could be squeezed in this year, and there'll be this temptation to go right. Everything I missed last year plus more, I'm going to just overdose on it now. So I'm really trying to just manage and temper people's runaway motivation because I don't think motivation will be in shortfall. We've come through that period, as we've discussed, where trying to help people get motivated was 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 certainly the prevalence in the winter time for myself. But ultimately, anything that you can get done in 2020 is likely to mean you have a better year than you did in 2020. Uh, sorry, in 21 is likely to be better than we had in 2020. So it's almost just, you know, really look forward for what the year might be. Plan your goals, set your goals, but make them realistic. But also, and again, trying to not put too much of a negative spin on it, I think it's really important with your motivation that you have backup plans in place. We should have these anyway in any normal given year, but last year did point out to us that the playing field can change and it can change pretty dramatically, as we mentioned. So, you know, have your goals. Don't make them too unrealistic. But then also, what are you going to do if? And that should then allow you to be able to channel that motivation in, in whatever way you need to. Some people we know, Ian's talked about this before, we know some people have got this real intrinsic motivational factors and others thrive off the extrinsic. That's probably my learning that I saw from last year is that that intrinsic motivation population who are, it's about the journey, the process of getting to there. They, they dealt with races being cancelled a lot easier than the extrinsically motivated people who were all about the outcome, the race, the, the end of that journey. So I think acknowledging which side of the fence you sit on there will help your motivation for 2021. You know, is it about the process and the journey? And therefore, if 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 it's not ending up being a race at the end of it, they these are the people who switched really well to just enjoying training and exercise. But for those extrinsic ones, and I don't think there's a there's a, a better or worse one. People are what they are. But a lot of people who couldn't post those Medal Monday pictures and couldn't end up on the start line, they were the ones who struggled. And a lot made these adjustments to do these self challenges or or other things. But um, but just plan your year, be realistic with it, have backup plans, realize that anything we achieve this year is probably a win compared to last year. Um, and don't get too carried away with with you know, motivation is brilliant, but it can become an Achilles heel if we don't temper it and control it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it does points to make about process versus goal driven. Well, I'm sure uh, Ian could talk about that all day. And I know we've we've talked about that so many times that 
process-driven people are the ones that just they enjoy running and they enjoy cycling and they just enjoy the process of doing it, whether there's a race or not at the end of it, and going out and enjoying that stuff, you're always more likely to stick to a routine if you actually enjoy just doing the exercises. And the ones that are goal-driven, I'm only doing this because I want the medal at the Ironman. Once the Ironman is removed, they stop training straight away. There's a, so there's a big difference between those two. And like you said, to be honest, I don't believe that one is necessarily better than the other. It's just there's different types of people, isn't it? But you know that the process-oriented people are always going to stick to the training plan better in difficult times because they just enjoy being out there. And I, I, I like to think of myself as quite process-driven. You know, if, if races were removed for the whole of this year, it wouldn't stop me swimming, cycling and running because I love swim, cycling and running. That said, interestingly... And Ian might, might you know, be able to explain more, more of this. Whilst I am a very process-driven person, even I've really struggled with it. And I just think it's because other people are struggling and when everybody else is struggling around you and you just hear it on the news all the time, after a while, it just feels like it just starts to weigh down on you. And no matter how much I love swim, cycling and running, it's still, you know, I think... I think it was the right, it's just got to the right time for me that they've announced that, you know, lockdown's going to end in March 29th because I was starting to struggle a little bit. And a lot of people I know who love swim, cycling and running and are looking forward to events this year. Now they've announced that events can go ahead. They're excited, but at the same time as being excited, like, yes, you know, we can go and do these races in April, May, June or whenever it may be. It's still then like turning a barge, you know, and to get themselves back on track. So, Ian, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, this, it, yeah, I agree with everything that's been said. It's um, it's almost like it's not really the issue now um, of motivation because people are really, really excited and really motivated. But it, it's also, uh, and that means a lot of people will be highly motivated, but it's making sure that the goals are set based on what you have been done. So it's almost like looking back at how motivated you were and you have been over the winter is determining what your plans should be going forward because if you and it might not even be to do with motivation you know a lot of people have had a lot of other pressures on them homeschooling and so on changes to working um patterns and so on might have meant that they haven't trained as effectively and it's like we're all being desperate to get back to racing and and, and seeing people and, and actual events and I think for any the real risk is that people will really go you know all in on the racing and train maybe too hard in anticipation of that and then get injured and that would be the worst thing for any individual I think this year is to not be able to compete when there's events back on so almost like Mike was saying there is you know be realistic about what you can do um, but the priority should be to participate and to be able to participate this year because I honestly think no matter what what form that takes in participation, everyone will be getting an enormous amount from it because it's all going to look so much better than last year. And it, you know, people will get injured, unfortunately. But you know, on a personal level, you've got to be looking at what, making sure that you're doing everything you can to try and avoid that and make sure that you can take advantage of those events uh, and actually get back there um, and take part. I mean, I think. A key thing at this point, we talked there quite a lot about sort of intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, and you know there'll be people who are highly motivated by you know, by events and you know, competing, 
who have managed to find a way through this because you can get a balance between that like i'm an incredibly competitive person when i'm in a race environment but i also get a lot from the process and i actually limit the amount i race because I'm, i know that if i race more it actually draws it takes me away from what i should be focusing on my training and you know the progress i need to be making because i start prioritizing the races so it's almost like the situation has forced people into that position where they can't race so they focus much more on the training and the process and i think now is a really good time to sort of reflect on that and try and see you know what, what have i learned about myself and what works for me and what how can i motivate myself and how can I use that information going forward to my benefit as an athlete? Um, because it'd be very easy to just fly back into the old routine now and not really reflect on what you've learned from that. Because some people, I think, will have learned a whole lot about themselves as athletes through this process, uh, th you know, through the situation we've been put in. So I think it's a real opportunity. And I know I, I have. I've sort of try different things in training, different approaches, mix things up in a way that I never would if I'd known, you know, as you both know, I usually do the London Marathon end of April, but that was moved a long time in advance. So we knew that wasn't going to happen. Uh, I looked at alternative um, spring marathons and tried to, you know, I looked at Rotterdam and a few others this when things were looking better before Christmas. And um, you know, couldn't get an entry for any, um, so kind of, realized that probably a spring marathon wasn't going to happen but I, that actually allowed me to think well actually i can play about with my training and do things differently in the first few months of the year and see what effect that has on my body in a way that i would never have taken those risks and changed things as much if i did have that marathon in, in april and i've learned quite a lot from that so i think it's important that you know people do that and probably, and don't necessarily throw all of that away going forward into their training so that they're um you know, they're taking that learning forward and trying to take some of those positives out. Um, I think they're some of the key things for me. I think, it, and in terms of the, uh, just to go back and sort of build upon what I said at the start there, now it's like assessing what you have done and trying to put something in your training that can gauge where you are, where you are at in terms of your endurance, your speed, strength, and what that allows you to do in terms of your planning for, you know, the amount of training you're going to do, the type of training you're going to do um and then take that forward and plan your goals from there what you can realistically do in your training yeah yeah so i guess what, what you're saying is that you need to self-assess to some extent yeah. and accurately gauge where is your current benchmark where are you now with your fitness with your yeah. strength your endurance all those kind of things and then go forward progressively and gradually from there. And I, I want, maybe, you know, rather than just focus on the physical side of it as well, where are you now psychologically? Because yes. I think some people are still struggling with it. And if you're still struggling with it, then don't overdo it. You can't force it. You know, you can't force 14 training sessions a week, including high intensity intervals and God knows what, if you don't have the physical capability, the motivation to do it at the moment. So ease your mind back into it as well as easing your body back into it because they go hand in hand, don't they? So, yeah. 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 And I think appreciating as well that the stress cup that we have yeah. is, em is emptied far more than just phys physically and physiologically. Yeah. You know, I, I've Over the winter, I've dealt with tons of athletes who just say, you know, I feel lethargic, my, my mojo's not there, but my performance isn't there either. Yeah. And they are 
shining a spotlight into the training side. Well, what's different about my training? Have I done something uh, that I would normally do? And some have had real fun experimenting, like Ian said. But then you stop and you say, well, tell me about work. Tell me about your family. Tell me about the, you know, and they've had family members who've had COVID. Their business is struggling. Their job is insecure. The kids are off school and they're having to homeschool. All of those factors have made that stress cup overflow. And they will have a physical effect on your performance, even though you may not appreciate it sort of um, first and foremost. So, So really, you do need to reflect back on where you are as a person because that will manifest physically yeah, yeah. in and around the running as a separate entity or, or the training as a separate entity yeah 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 the whole physio socio psycho combination there isn't it mm. saying that I, again i i think a lot of the people that we coach physically kind of they're thereabouts you know they could they can push certain power they can run certain speeds the problem is that i've seen is that they're psychologically mentally drained you know, they're mentally drained and whether that's because they don't know. I think the, that unknown is somewhat, I think, Mike, you mentioned that earlier about the unknown and um, uh, Ian mentioned it. Still not knowing for sure whether what will happen in the future, that uncertainty. I think a lot of people struggle with uncertainty, but I just think people are just, you know, psychologically, they're just drained. And yeah, from all the other stresses. I mean, some people can juggle it like Mikey is homeschooling. Why he's talking on the podcast. <laughs> He's talking intermittent doing maths. You know what I mean? Juggle it. Some people are masters. That's how we roll down here. Got to get the next generation ready. (laughs) But yeah, I do think that you 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 can't separate the psychological and the the, uh, physiological, can you? You know, they they just they sit hand in hand. And I think more people become probably mentally drained quicker than they become physically drained. Um, And uh, you know, you can't really separate the two things anyway. Are they actually different? we did, of course, some events over the winter, didn't we? We had virtual events. Um, I think it's worth just uh, discussing that for a, for a short while. Mike, did you take part in any virtual events? And if so, what's your general thoughts on them? You know, how you found them over the winter? And do you think they'll continue into the next year? Yeah. Well, as someone who's always focused on quality, not quantity, I just did the one, which was the Lakeland. Hey! Uh, <laughs> but I... I um, I like I like the the void that they were able to fill. I think they were fantastic. You know, using the Lakeland as an example, the the community. And again, we just talked talked about that biopsychosocial approach. Mm. I would almost guarantee that from what I was involved with in and around the Lakeland, it was the psychological and social had much as much, if not more, benefit for everyone than the physical side. So they they were a brilliant addition or an expansion for a lot of people. Um, I think they'll stay around. I think people will find this equilibrium of where they fit. We know there's a population of people who exclusively do virtual runs or virtual events and some who never went near them, and that'll settle somewhat. Um, Are there negatives to it? Probably. I think um, it's not something I've given too much thought to, but I do think you can get, you know, in any race, in any, how many people have turned up to a triathlon and been absolutely psyched out by the guy with the with a GB kit or the the guy with a bike, and within five minutes in the race they're in your rearview mirror because it's all the kit, uh, blah blah blah. And virtual, I think, sometimes gives you that snapshot into believing everything you see is real about people. You know, there's five minute search on the internet, you find 
some fantastically clever ways people have cheated in virtual events and it's all trust and it's all sort of you know belief so so there's a there's if you're confident if you're someone who's a confidence person then potentially there's a risk of being involved in this and missing that it's not always a real full perspective on life but um i think i, I i've i've changed my attitude on them yeah as, as someone with my generation who, who's used to you know runs were runs races were races when virtual events first came in i found it difficult to get my head around other than the the novice runner who had sort of confidence issues going to running clubs or running races for example i understood them but for the rest of them i thought if you really want to race why don't you just race but i've i've seen the other added benefits to it since but um Interested on Ian's views on this one. I would imagine he's given it more thought than I have. Um, I have thought about it a little bit um, in terms of virtual events, and I agree overall that they've definitely been good, and that they've, especially given the situation we've been in, I think they've been essential for a lot of people over the last sort of almost 12 months now. I, I haven't done that many. Uh, I've set a few other personal challenges that have sort of similar in some ways, and I, I think there's a real continuum of different virtual events and i think they, they serve different purposes um and i think some are more useful than other ones so i did the lakeland uh, actually on the coast in about last july actually because things were a lot freer then so it was that, that was really interesting for me from a personal point of view to actually do the event and put the constraints on of it of the 40 hours from the actual event but see how that felt without other people around without the checkpoints and so that was a real sort of journey of discovery I, I got a lot from that um but equally uh, like mike said that social side of things and, and the the real sort of group fit, sort of dynamic that was created but virtually over the internet with all the other participants in that event made it something quite different i think to well in the same way that actual real events differ quite a lot in terms of their social element and and how people feel as though it's part of their identity and they're linked to it some events do that so much better than, than other ones do and it's the same with the virtual events as well and you know that, that obviously the daily fox cast and all the, the chatter over social media and everything really makes you sort of um establish some of those connections virtually which you would normally only think was possible in, in a real event and then that was that was carried on again i did the lakeland lapland event in december um set a few personal challenges around that as well obviously there wasn't the opportunity to well i couldn't have got on the actual course without going to, to lapland but you know to, to actually go even into the mountains you were really constrained to what you could do locally so some people you know if you live in the lake district or you know the peaks or whatever you could actually get out in the hills which you know was great but for me it was I had the road to Birmingham. That was pretty much the only thing I could use. So I actually did it in a series of road marathons um, across the across the days. So I, pretty much the majority of my mileage was done over five marathons. So it was just sort of making those personal challenges out of it. And then there was a bit of just easy running in between to make up the mileage. But really it was about, you know, how can I run this and then recover quickly and then get up and do a marathon again the next day? Because I've never really done any multi-day events. So I thought it was quite interesting to sort of learn how I coped with and learn quite a lot nutritionally from that as well, I think, which is something that I can take forward. But again, that social element was there again. 
but then in the in january to sort of continue that motivation um i did the spine event the 268 mile spine uh, in january but i pretty much just because it, obviously back to work and everything else going on but also because there was no sort of social element to it i just pretty much did that as part of normal training and it just felt so different to the other events there was no social element to it it was pretty much my mileage would would load up to Strava automatically at the end of the day. It would link to them, and really, you could go online and look to see where you are on the map. But other than that, there wasn't really that much connection with that, and it really was just a it was just it was just a 268 mile goal that you were working towards really for that month. And I think that would I probably got less from that because of that, and that got me thinking about this sort of social element. We often think about motivation in terms of achievement and whether we're self motivated to you know, better ourselves and mastery and improvement on a personal level, or are we motivated by beating other people in sort of comparisons to others? But another part that we don't think about so much is sort of the social goals and that we set for ourselves. Uh, and and they're, they're around sort of the affiliation that we get and the affiliation we feel with other people, and that can be a very strong motivating factor for, for a lot of people. Um, but also recognition and status. So affiliation is generally seen as being a very positive motivator. Recognition's positive, but probably not quite as a positive affiliation. So it's you know people recognizing your improvement and your performance and, and the value that you see in that. But then status is probably the least positive. I mean, it's really you're motivated by how good you you are and rank against other people. And so again, it's getting a bit closer to that sort of. Uh, that um, ego uh, motivation in terms of being better than other people, but I think those social events, sorry, those virtual events that have the social element have really been able to sort of capture some of that sort of affiliation and recognition. Other people saying like, you know, you do you done really well, and the positive comments coming from other people, but also that affiliation feeling that you're all sort of collectively involved in an event at the same time, and getting that sort of daily feedback and update on that, I think is is a really important motivating factor for people. So I think the, the virtual events that have been able to capture that have been a lot more successful, but they're probably quite few and far between. I think a lot of events have just thought, well, we'll put a virtual event on and then there's a, there's a tracker or something like that, and there's not a lot else beyond that. And I've seen, I know someone who did the um, Manchester Marathon, the virtual one, and all you had to do was run 26.2 miles in the month. And you just think, well, that... That could actually be demotivating for people. They could end up actually running less than they normally would, uh, and, and still achieve that. So, yeah, I think it is important that well, you can't you can't tell a race organizer how to put a virtual event on, but you can choose which ones you get involved with. So you think about what do you want to get out of your training that month, which virtual events are going to help me get that from it, and then select your virtual events accordingly. And if if that social element is really important to you, then obviously trying to pick events that can give you that. But in terms of, yeah, I think a virtual event for me almost feels like I often use time trials in training that will give me feedback about where I'm at. And if it is a virtual event where I'm actually doing a 10K, so I did the London 10,000 virtual event where you actually went out and did a 10K timed and then uploaded it. If it's something like that, I think it can be just give you that extra motivation like a, a, a highly motivated time trial that you would use in your training as a marker so i think they can be very useful for that if it's if it's that type of event and london marathon was the same in october i did that one and um 
they, they give you the app. So once you press start, that was it. Until those 26.2 miles clocked on the app, the clock was still running. And, and um, actually, that worked quite well because everyone was doing it on the same day, and they sent you a race number. And actually, when you was out doing it, it was amazing how many people you actually saw out there with the numbers on doing it just because of the numbers. And I, I've noticed that they're carrying that going this year and hoping to get 100,000 people running on the day of the marathon. Um, so, so that one worked well. So I think if you pick your events and you use them and you match them to what you want to get from your training, virtual events can be really useful. But they can, I think they can be a distraction if you've got the wrong events and really it's just about a medal and a, a T-shirt at the end of the month. Um, that, that's probably where the real danger is, I think. Mm-hmm. Something I thought about when you were talking, Ian, which is, is something that's been prevalent down here with athletes, some one negative i've seen without races in 2020 was those athletes who've had that identity crisis that they're dave the runner they're john the triathlete and because they haven't been able to compete and race then they felt they've almost you know their whole social circle often evolves around the sport and virtual races have been able to fill that a little bit for them they've been able to maintain that uh, that sort of uh, social status almost within it Mark, as um as an organizer, what um what's your thoughts on them? Would you would you think of continuing running a virtual event alongside the real event in future? Yeah, potentially. I mean, like what well, I think what just to pick up on some of Ian's points there about the, the community thing and the affiliation with the community. I mean, I I very much obviously when we organise Lakeland Hundred, I'm very much trying to mould that affiliation in that community because I know that's one of the things that people like about the event. They like being part of this Lakeland Hundred, you know, Lakeland Legends group, and it's just a good community. So I I very much play to that, and I, I kind of I suppose focus less so on the elite side of it and the competition side of it, and that's um you know that's what I've always I've always focused on really. And when we did the virtual events, I was kind of very acutely aware of what we needed to do is, is build this community because it was a week long. I didn't just want people going doing their own thing. I wanted everybody on the Facebook page for the whole week. So I wanted everybody to post photographs. And then we'd have a Foxcast every night and we'd get those photographs and see, will your picture turn up on Foxcast? And it was about getting people together and keeping them together for the full week. So it was always about the community. Um, and even with the charity side of it, you know, I mean, it's, it's great for us that we can raise so much money for charity and give it to charity. But I'm also aware of that a lot of people were feeling down at that time. And I know that if they see that their entry fee has gone to look at all these good causes and posting them on the Facebook page, they're all getting a warm glow and they're all getting a book that we donated the money for that. And that's what we've done. So I'm very aware of how that charity side makes other people feel because it's not my money. I just... I just directed the money, you know, it was, it, the money came from the runners, not from me. So, so they, they get a buzz out of it as well, seeing that their money goes to charity. So, so yeah, it, you know, and, and manipulate is the wrong word, but I very much knew that that's what I was trying to achieve and get that community thing and make people feel good at least for 10 days, you know, and then not to get to the end of that and everybody to go, oh, what are we going to do tomorrow? You know, because that's the other problem, isn't it? What are we all doing tomorrow? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, you know, I, I, I very much wanted to, to, to focus on that community side. And the same with the Christmas one as well, you know, just focus on that community side and the giving side of it, just to give people a bit of a, a psychological boost. So would we continue the virtual events into next year? Potentially the Christmas one, because I don't think there's much around anyway. At that time of year, I know there are races, 
but I think a virtual works quite well. So yes, it's not 100%, but we may well do the uh, event at Christmas uh, again next year. And it's just a nice fundraiser and it raises some money for the charity pot. Um, would we run a virtual one in summer to coincide with the actual event? Interestingly, again, from uh, it was a Sunderland Strollers, I think it was Kevin, uh, Kevin was on from Sunderland Strollers was saying that a lot of people from their club wouldn't be able to do the 50, not just because they couldn't get in, but just because they can't run a 50 miles on mountainous terrain in one go. They can't do it. So this gave them the opportunity to be part of the Lakeland 50 when they actually can't do the, the full course. So, and that was, I hadn't thought about that before, but when Kev brought it up, I thought, well, maybe we could. So could we run a virtual event in the run up to the actual event itself? And it would be part of the build up. You know, so it would be kind of building the atmosphere. And so, yeah, I am thinking about that. I'm just thinking about logistically that what what we learned is um, you've got to be really um, uh, slick on your posting medals and T-shirts and all that kind of stuff and how that works, because we had a lot of medals and T-shirts to post and then dealing with the ones that went missing. So how that would work when at the end of the virtual event we're actually organising the proper event. But I think it might be a nice way to build the atmosphere building up to the proper event and it would draw in another audience um you know so so yeah potentially we are we are certainly considering doing a, a virtual event and i think the one thing the marshals as well all the marshals said well they wanted to do something it'd be quite nice if the marshals had the opportunity to do the virtual event and complete it before they actually have to be to marshal so um yeah so yeah, I'm not committing to anything, but but it's it's likely. <laughs> I, think, I think the other benefit, yeah. and I'm sure someone mentioned it on one of the Foxcasts, was that what the virtual event did was not only provide an opportunity for those who may not be able to do the real event, but it also provided a stepping stone for some yeah. to build to build that confidence of of yeah maybe I can do this in future. Yeah, yeah. Something else as well, which is quite interesting, and it's probably worth considering what events are going to look like going forwards this year but something else which is interesting as well is the the changes we had to make to events last year did we learn anything from that that we can carry on as a positive into this year so as an example and this is one simple one for us the events we did run we couldn't have spectators uh, spectators weren't allowed at events this year because of the covid secure that was part of the uh, covid secure agreement so we made sure that we streamed the finish lines live on Facebook. So we always had a Facebook live feed streaming the finish line. And once you start doing that, you think, why, why wouldn't we just do that anyway? Because, you know, Joe Smith is going to take part in the triathlon. His wife and kids might not want to come and stand in the cold and watch him all day if it's raining. But if he says, look, I'm finishing around 10.30, they'll keep an eye on Facebook to see him cross the line. So why do we not just stream it live anyway? You know, and I think that, and I think uh, quite a few people have done that because there's no spectators at events. You know, live streaming has been a, a thing for a lot of big events this year. So we're, I think that's something definitely we'll look to develop this year, whether there's spectators allowed or not. And I think, you know, maybe in the, in the early events there won't be spectators allowed, in the later events there will be. Um, it's things like that, the live streaming. You know, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we do that? So uh, um, even things, I think we're, to some extent, we've always done the briefings online beforehand as well, but more so this year that, you know, you, you don't need to stand there for 20 minutes in the cold being briefed by someone. 
we put it on the YouTube channel, you know, two days before. And we put it live and you can ask questions while we're doing the briefing or whatever. There's a lot of things that you would do that we did last year that I think we'll carry on now, even when, even if COVID disappears this year. I think a lot of those things will continue and we'll use and we'll pick those bits out. It'd be fascinating to see um, some live streaming from the checkpoints. Yeah. Well, we've already talked about this. Yeah. How we do that. And, you know, there are ways. I'm not the most IT savvy person. But I am speaking to someone else about how can we do that. And I know UTMB do that, don't they? I think, so they, I think they originally started doing this through a YouTube channel. I don't know how they do it now. They've probably got something different. But, but yeah, having having live streaming and seeing people come into checkpoints and stuff. And so, yeah, there's uh, all of that's kind of being discussed uh, at the moment. And we talk the same about having, with the timing system, you know, if you're out on a 10K run, for example, and you've got timing mats at various places on the course to see people go, you know, you can see live splits on the course. There's no reason why you can't have a camera linked to that timing system. And that's th those timing systems now at that point were, as you go through the line, they will recognize you and go, there you go. That was Ian Bordley. You go through on the video camera. Ian Bordley just went through in this time. Um, and that's what we'd kind of done. We had a Facebook live feed and we had a, a results live feed. So the leaderboard, as people were crossing the line, their name was popping up on the live feed. So we're, we're going to try and you know develop that more this year for the events and just see if we, it's just a, another thing to make the events better. Your friends or family or anybody can, doesn't need to come and travel with you to watch. Uh, and you know even when COVID's gone, you know that's something we'll still use going forwards. I saw um, there was a uh, there was athletics clubs. They had like a, a virtual road relay championships. Mm -hmm. That was something I thought oh, that's really innovative and could work long term. Yeah, yeah. Even at a more recreational level, you could have clubs from all around the UK that just almost on like a league format race against another club. Be yeah. something different. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. So, but yeah, so onwards, we're on March 29th, and uh, March 29th, events can go ahead. So it's uh, it's always a very tricky one, this, because you... Um, you're trying to kind of decipher government guidelines. So as an organiser, we're looking at it and reading into it and saying, well, can they go ahead? Can they not go ahead? Um, so um, because obviously no one's going to post. Uh, Boris isn't going isn't to put in the government notes. And from the 29th of March, uh, organised sport can go ahead. So just so you know, the um, Epic Events can organise their Cycle Sportif event on this day. That's not what they say. You know, they say you've got to read it in the wording where um, organised sport can go ahead and for events which are COVID secure, the maximum limits don't apply. Uh, so the group of six doesn't apply if you are a COVID secure organised sport. And that might be at your club. So if you've got 30 people at a training session or whether you're organising an event. And then there's more confusion thrown in because I don't know if you saw the one. This, the rule is that from May it was, um, I think, is it 20,000 people or 50 percent capacity? So they start talking about spectators in May for mass events. And that kind of throws it because you're not sure whether they're talking about competitors or spectators. But what actually happens is that um, when they put this, uh, this information out, uh, Sport England decipher it. Then the national governing bodies have conversations with Sport England. So there is a working group at the moment. British Triathlon, UK Athletics, British Cycling are in a working group. Um, and uh, they dis have a discussion with Sport England and they decipher and say, look, what can we tell our affiliated organisers that they are now allowed to do? And then we have meetings with British Triathlon or with British Cycling, whoever it may be. And then they say, right, we've spoke to Sport England. Sport England spoke to the government. You can do this from this date. 
And that's how that information comes about. Yeah. Interestingly, swim, uh, UK swimming weren't part of that working group. They, they declined to be involved. And it is interesting, just wind me up a little bit when people are on Facebook demanding, you know, if you're going to demand that swimming pools should be open and swimming should be priority, then perhaps you want to be part of a working group, don't you? But there we go. <laughs> I'm not saying anything further. <laughs> but yeah, so events uh, events will go ahead from a, from 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 29th of March. And, and for a period, obviously they said that restrictions are going to um, end June 21st, I think, isn't it? Uh, well, that's the roadmap, assuming everything keeps moving in the direction they're hoping um, on the four markers. Um, but for that date, will there be other changes to events in terms of checkpoints, people going off in blocks of you know different waves? Do you envisage, will there be a period where events gradually get back to more what we would expect them to be? Yeah, so I would expect the events, well, the events certainly that we're running, the events from first week of April, end of March, first week of April, whatever it is, after the 29th, um, they will be COVID secure. So the organisers have to show that the COVID secure and put that to the local authorities, event safety groups and so on. Um, and uh, environmental health, generally, the people who are responsible for the local councils for working with organisers. So it will be the same measures they probably saw at events last year and it'll be those same measures till at least mid-May and of course we're presuming that these dates are going to get hit because as Boris has said if numbers don't go up don't go down significantly this can all change but presuming this doesn't change and that's all we've got to work on the events initially at the beginning of the year will be similar to where they were ran last year so we were doing very simple things don't car share don't bring spectators you know when you turn up um you, you should be more than two metres apart all the time. So when you're parking your car, don't gather in groups. And then it's the usual whether it may be masks if, if, if required in certain places or more likely hand gel and things like that, keeping people apart at the finish. And anybody who did an event last year will have known there were, you know, there were various things, time trial starts, no mass starts, all those kind of things. So you put all of those into a risk assessment. That's how we're going to make it COVID secure. And if you can uh, show that you're COVID secure, then you're allowed for those events to, allow for those events to go ahead. And that's probably what it'll look like for everybody in, from April into May. Then in mid-May, there may then be some changes because that's where they're starting to talking about uh, crowds going back to stadiums and so on. So more than a move towards spectators. And it's a tricky one. So for us as an organiser, we just want to run events. And I have to say last year at the events, the, the competitors were okay. The spectators less so because if they want to see the son or the daughter or the husband or wife take part, they were kind of being a bit of a pain and ignoring us and pushing us out of the way because, you know... There, was, there were quite a lot of the spectators, I would say, were quite selfish last year. And what we were trying to say to people is this is really simple. This event can get cancelled or it can get stopped at any, any minute, really, if someone comes and visits the event. So for the events to go ahead, I would say whichever events you do, if the organisers tell you not to bring spectators, because whilst we're saying that the spectators were more of a, more of a problem than the competitors, competitors bring spectators you know, so there's an obvious tie between the two, you know, to give the organisers the um, respect they're due. And if they're asking you not to bring spectators for the first month, it's because that's the agreement they have with local authorities. So don't bring spectators, you know, just be thankful you can turn up and take part. Um, and also respect those rules as well, because, as you will know, there is a, a split between people in the country, isn't it? You've got the people who are, I'm just so over it now, I'm not really bothered. 
I'll shake hands with anybody. I'll hug anybody. I'll car share. I am not bothered, you know. And then there are some people who still won't go out of the house. And then you have a whole spectrum of the people in between. So if you turn up to an event and there are rules in place, just remember those rules might not be for you because there might be someone in that event who's actually petrified, but they've been reassured and they've turned up because they know these rules are in place. So I think it's really important when we all start doing events again that we appreciate that not everybody might be as over it as you are and might not be as confident as you are and respect the rules, one for the organisers, but also for the other competitors. You know, don't run within six inches of someone or cut across them in a swim and cause them to have a panic attack because you're really confident and they're still really nervous. So I think probably everybody needs to give everybody else a little bit of time and a little bit of space. Um, but yeah, then by mid-May, we're looking at spectators and then, well, if we if Boris's plan goes to goes true, isn't it, by June, we're, that's it, we're all done. There's no more COVID. And I think we can, uh, I think you can almost use that phase return of events in terms of how they look as part of your training, can't you? You can sort of, you know, if a race isn't going to look like what we normally expect a race to be until July or June, late June, then we shouldn't expect ourselves to compete at the level that we used to when we're in those type of events. I think there's still somewhere, in the same way with a virtual event, you wouldn't put the same expectation on yourself because you are still competing on your own even though it's virtually you're linked to other people. I think in a time trial format you're probably somewhere in between the two in terms of what performance you can get out and if you're shoulder to shoulder with people it does bring a little bit more out of you so why not lower those expectations for those intermediate events in terms of when you put in you, you, you're doing your goal setting and then gradually expect the performance to come through as you as you move back to more normal events as well. I think you can kind of use that to our advantage by taking the pressure off ourselves a bit, I think. Yeah. You know, from, from a psychology perspective, I would say that a time trial start is also, for a lot of people, a lot less anxious. Mm. Mass starts, yeah. apart from, like, you know, the obvious one with Ironman going from mass start swims to, to you know, um, time uh, wave starts or whatever they call it, where three people go in every 10 seconds. The bulk of the people love that, you know, because they're not, they've not got 2,000 people swimming over their head. And I yeah. think with time trial as well, it's very different. You're stood on the line and it's about you and your effort uh, rather than, you know, you, people are much more likely to probably pace themselves badly, for example, in the first mile. If they've got 100 other people around them all, who all go off at the same pace and you're trying to run with the pack. So I think the time trial actually gives some people a bit of an opportunity to be less anxious and it's just them on their own. Don't worry about anybody else and just do your own thing. I think the great points, and I think it goes back to similar to something I was saying earlier in terms of each time we're putting these different situations that we're not used to, it's reflecting on and thinking, actually, what does that tell me about me as an athlete and which environments do I compete better in? Why is that? And what is it about a different type of event that's causing me to be anxious and putting me under pressure? How do I need to reframe that and think about it differently when I am put into a more normal racing situation so I can actually cope better with that situation yeah. uh, it, it, it's just using this position that we've all been put in to try and learn what we can I think from it you know about ourselves as athletes isn't it yeah. but it's a good point some people do respond better to that uh, to, to those situations or, or people uh, or, or should I say people reflect some people respond badly to 
big pressured environments where there's lots of athletes around and I think but ultimately that's what racing is and we have to find ways of improving our ability to cope with that don't we in in that situation because eventually you will be getting kicked in the face and (laughs) you have to deal with it (laughs) and I know we've got to go soon we've got to wrap it up but uh, um, Mike just coming to you quickly any final thoughts and also what's your uh, what's your event for this year um, no, I think final thoughts are, you know, 2020, whatever the net, it's easy to perceive 2020 as a real negative experience. And for most of us, we'll look back at it, that it was, but it was also an opportunity. Ian, Ian mentioned it about experimenting, trying new things and, and evolving forward. So if nothing else, it hopefully is just reignited the passion for a lot of people, but also, you know, it's, it's, you haven't lost a year. You've 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 had an opportunity to try different things and and moving forward that can can be a real positive. Um, the MDS saga continues for me personally. Um, that's been binned. It's been deferred till October, but I've decided to defer a year. I need a break. Yeah. I want to do e- even in the six weeks since. Uh, so my my MDS will be April 2022. Um, but just getting the bike out, doing some sessions on the rower, doing some speed sessions have just been refreshing for me for the last couple of months so um so i don't know what 2021 looks like race wise i haven't really put anything concrete in the diary but something will creep in at some point um i think last thing for me obviously this is our first episode of the year so for the listeners you know if you've got topics you want us to talk about people you want us to interview if there's questions you want us to answer then um comment below or message any of us on yeah. social media and um, and 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 give us the stuff that you want us to to talk about for, for you to learn from. Yeah, we should do this on a regular basis, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> That's good to me. I know it's my fault. <laughs> Before you start, <laughs> uh, Ian, any final thoughts for you and your race of the year? Yeah, so uh, the the two big races that I've got in for the year are, um, is the Lakeland 100 uh, end of July and then. I think it's about eight weeks later there's the london marathon so uh yeah they're flipped around this year because it's normally london yeah. first and then Lakeland, but it'd be the other way around this year and i'm within the last two weeks i've probably been given a lot more confidence that both of those will happen i think at one time i wasn't even sure london would but uh, when they when they moved it from april i was that uh, i thought it was quite a negative move but absolute move but actually now it seems like they were they made a very uh, intelligent move then but it's um it's going to be an interesting autumn because I think is it the five marathon marathon made these five marathon majors in six weeks or something like that over the autumn. So it's going to be some interesting ones for the elite athletes. But yeah, right now for me, so so London, so normally London is towards the end of April, which means I can't get. I tend to do most of my training. Fair, I do hill work, but not hill work in the same way that it looked like for um, the Lakeland 100. So I don't normally start getting out and getting the real climbing in until after London's done. But this will give me an opportunity to start that a bit earlier. So I have been toying with the idea. I think there will be one or two spring marathons available. I think there's one at Boston. I could run a marathon in April, but then that will probably delay my start for Lakeland. So do I just think, well, you know, what's the point in putting a marathon in unless I think I can do a particularly good performance? I think what I'm going to do in the next week or two is have a couple of testing time trials see really where i am gauge my fitness because i've trained fairly well if i think i'm in good enough shape then i might put in a spring marathon but if if not then i'll as soon as i can get out on the hills 
which is March 29th onwards, then uh, I'll be uh, hitting the hills and, uh, and starting the plan, uh, the, the training for Lakeland earlier. So um, hopefully that'll put me in good shape for, for Lakeland. And then it's just factoring in which events, the recce's and so on, in the build-up to that, um, to, to Lakeland. Um, so yeah, that's they're the main things I'm thinking about now in terms of racing for this year. Cool. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you very much, both of you, for your, for your time today. And uh, as Mike already said, if there's any topics that you want covering, then by all means, email us, DM us, message us, whatever. Post on the Facebook page, and we will um, and we'll do our best to discuss them in the next podcast. Guys, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Speak to you soon. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow myself uh, via the Endurance Store at Endurance Coach. You can follow Mike, the Endurance Physio, at the Endurance PT. And you can follow Dr. Ian Bordley at MD Sport X. That's MD Sport EX. Uh, you can also visit our website. You can visit theendurancestore.com, which is a local running shop near Wigan. And uh, we also offer the Endurance Coach testing and coaching services. And also just check out sportsinjuryfix.com, where you can find a sports injury specialist near you. Speak to you soon.